Hey guys, it is Friday, November 30th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Like, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, this week is the Los Angeles International Auto Show in Los Angeles, California, and just like many other years, uh, Los Angeles is featuring a lot of cool, funky, affordable uh, small cars and SUVs uh, to get uh, you excited for automotive uh, show season. So we'll talk a little bit about that after we get to perhaps the biggest news of the week, and that is the announcement that GM made at the start of the week, that they are closing five production plants here in the United States and Canada and axing some pretty major models. There are a lot of political ramifications that are going on with that, uh, especially here in the Midwest, um, but really all over the country. And it's really curious to kind of consider what's going on, why GM wants to do it, uh, so on and so forth. We'll, so we'll talk a little bit about that first before we get to the automotive news uh, announcements area. So I guess with all that in mind, let's talk about what's going on with GM. So the news broke on Monday, uh, going into Tuesday, that General Motors is closing five plants uh, in the United States and Canada in order to become more of a lean, mean, aggressive car-making machine. Uh, they say that there are a lot of different issues that have kind of led to this situation. They're slow-selling models. They're in markets that aren't really expanding. They're uh, hemorrhaging cash to get uh, steel and aluminum sent from China to the United States. Uh, they have tariffs that they're contending with. Uh, all in all, GM is just throwing their hands up basically and saying, what else can we do? This, of course, flies in the face of what the Trump administration did with GM, uh, or at least for GM and many other companies all across the United States, by handing out hundreds of millions of dollars of tax refunds or rebates uh, to companies all over the country. And GM is one of the companies that benefited most from the situation. Uh, as the plan would be suggested by the Trump administration, these companies that are saving all this money uh, would then reinvest that money uh, into their companies, increasing their R&D, increasing their uh, design and education systems for their employees, uh, improving their, their manufacturing base here in the U.S. And the reality of the situation is that things that trickle down are not money. It's bullshit, and this is really at the bottom of the bucket, to say the least. Uh, models that GM are going to be axing in this situation is the Buick LaCrosse, the Chevrolet Impala, the Chevrolet Cruze, the Chevrolet Volt, the Cadillac CT6, and the Cadillac XTS. Uh, some of those models definitely deserve to die or should have died quite a long time ago. Other ones are so new or they're still innovative or class competitive that it seems really strange that they're going to be getting rid of them. Um, the, these plants that are closing are largely going to be in Michigan and Ohio. Uh, there's one in Baltimore. Uh, and it is important to think about how where these plants are closing are areas that flipped for Trump. These are areas that uh, traditionally are Democratic very democratic, very pro-union areas, um, and in areas where they felt like they were quote-unquote left behind by the Obama administration, um, which is a whole nother mess to get into when it comes to the auto bailout situation. Um, you know, Trump had promised that these jobs are going to stay, that this reinvestment was going to happen, and that's not the case. And, you know, if you get into, I would say, a little bit of the borderline conspiracy theory end of this, 
I really do feel like it is GM playing hardball with the Trump administration to get them to end the steel and aluminum tariffs that they are currently have in place with China. Um, you know, if these thousands and thousands of people are going to be losing their jobs in Michigan and Ohio, and these are states that generally do control the outcome of elections, how many of these people are going to vote against the current sitting president in 2020 uh, if these plants are for sure shut down and these promises that he had said he was going to keep and uh, a platform in which he has run on, uh, at least in the 2018 midterm, uh, promises made, promises kept, uh, would not be the case in this situation. Um, I think... You know, in terms of strictly on the automotive ends of things, like I said, it's strange that they're getting rid of the Volt. It's a car that ignited a movement. It is a car that really led a lot of innovation uh, to where we are today. I think it is incredibly short-sighted to kill the model all the way. Um, but at the same time, I think it's probably smart for GM to move on past the Volt, especially as the Bolt is currently on sale and the, no and the names sound exactly the same. I think we'll see a Volt Tech-powered crossover in the very near future it was a planned car when the volt initially de debuted in the early 20 teens uh that'll most likely probably be the outcome so think uh something like the new chevy blazer or the chevy equinox but with the volts powertrain uh that seems like a pretty likely outcome there uh, killing the Cruze and Impala, I think, is pretty short-sighted. These are cars that were very well-reviewed when they first came out. Um, you you get cars that are very well-liked in their segments, um, but they never really got a chance to grow because Chevy, well, they didn't continually update these cars to keep them up to date uh, compared to competitors. I think the Impala is a wonderful car. It's good-looking. It drives really well. It's fuel-efficient, especially with the four-cylinder. Um they sell it's one of the top selling cars in its class the cruise on the other hand sells well but it's in a class that's shrinking and it is dominated by the honda civic and the toyota corolla um you know chevy did what they could do by introducing a hatchback and having a diesel uh but you're not going to run the table with that when there's so many better options out there um and we'll get to one later in the la auto show coverage uh where the other car companies, particularly Asian car companies, are fully doubling down on this segment as something uh, to be focused on. Uh, cars like the uh, Cadillac XTS and the Buick LaCrosse, I think they, they sit in weird parts of the market. The XTS was out of date when it first debuted. Uh, it was a holdover design uh, to get from the Cadillac DTS uh, to the CT6. Uh, so having it around, I don't think really helped anybody. Um, so that one I, I can definitely be okay with leaving. But the CT6 is incredibly disappointing. It debuted the new Omega architecture, which is a wonderfully designed chassis that is lightweight. It is stiff. It is engaging to drive, even in a car as large as the Cadillac CT6. Uh, I think the design of the car is visually stunning uh it's a really good looking model and you know it's a car that as gm continued to tweak it you know a year or two after its debut they really got to an interesting spot and yeah there were places where it needed to improve but i don't know they're ki they're killing the grapes on the vine too quickly and it's incredibly disappointing. So we'll see. I'm sure there are a lot of wrinkles that need to be pressed out of this story. Um, I think this is going to be an ongoing one for a while. Um, I th like I said, I think if GM's going to play hardball with the Trump administration in, in this current political climate, uh, I really think GM 
has a lot to gain in this situation compared to what they're going to lose. Uh, investors like what they're doing, uh, even if the politics and the optics on it don't exactly line up. But uh, if they are playing the political game here, I think they might eventually win out, especially as more companies potentially jump on board to the same uh, type of conclusion. So one of the things I like the absolute best about the Los Angeles International Auto Show is that it was one of the auto shows, uh, much like Chicago, where you get a lot of cars and trucks and SUVs and whatever else uh, that are tangible everyday vehicles that a lot of people can afford. Um, and they're cars that you're generally going to probably see on the road by the end of the year. Um, it's one of the, it's one of the shows that also kind of has a little bit more of a fun attitude about it. Um, so there are a lot of interesting things that have been announced. Uh, it's been a weird news cycle this week with it. Um, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily just the way news works anymore, but it was more of a trickle of announcements than it was big day, big day, big day, and then up close reviews. So, um, sorry for not doing a day by day thing. Um, but a lot of the news that came out, I think is really cool. Um, we're seeing a lot of really interesting changes in the market. Uh, so we'll kind of go through the announcements as they came out chronologically. Uh, I might hang on a few models that I find really interesting. So, uh, Feel free to skip around if you're here on Anchor. Uh, you can skip to di different segments of the show. Otherwise, uh, sit tight. I'll try to put in some buffers to kind of give you a little bit of an ear break. Uh, but yeah, so the first vehicle we'll start out with here in just a moment is the Honda uh, Passport. Perhaps the worst kept secret going into the 2018 Los Angeles International Auto Show is that Honda has a new crossover to debut, and it is called the Passport. Uh, this is the first time that Honda has used the Passport name since the late 90s, early aughts, uh, when they had the Isuzu Rodeo based Passport on sale. Uh, that model was eventually replaced by the Pilot, of which the new Passport is based on. Uh, more or less, without getting into the super-duper nitty-gritty details, uh, this is a smaller version of the Pilot. Uh, the wheelbase is exactly the same, the powertrain is exactly the same, the interior is exactly the same. Uh, the only real difference between the two vehicles is that the Passport loses the third row that the Pilot has. Uh, you gain a little bit of space behind the back, but the overall body size is just a few inches shorter. So. Mm, I guess the way I feel about it is you are getting more for what you pay for if you're a guy like me who doesn't have kids and probably doesn't have enough friends to take and utilize a third row SUV everywhere you go. Um, other stuff that kind of carries over, like I said, the engine and transmission are exactly the same. Uh, it is the 3.5 liter V6, makes about 280 horsepower, uh, about the same torque-wise. I believe it is matted only to the 9-speed automatic uh, that is in the Honda Odyssey and Pilot in upper trims. Uh, not the 6-speed automatic that you get in the Ridgeline, which is what I find interesting. And why I say that's interesting is because Honda is claiming, to some extent, that the new Passport is a little more off-road ready than the Pilot is. And as much as the Ridgeline was designed to be an off-road ready vehicle, the 6-speed automatic that's in that is a little more robust than the 9-speed. And it seems like if you're making an off-roady type vehicle, that might be the better choice. Especially with all the reliability issues that that gearbox has had over the past few years. 
nevertheless, I digress. Uh, you're going to get the super clever all-wheel drive system that Honda uses. It's got a fancy uh, new name that I don't really fully remember ivt something something more or less it's the super handling all-wheel drive system that uh, acura employs in some of those other vehicles uh by that i mean it's a system that is primarily front wheel drive based uh it will send up to a 70 percent of the torque of the engine to the rear axle and then it can send 100 percent of that power uh and it can mitigate it between the left or the right wheel uh in order to get you out of a hole uh, a ditch uh get you some better cornering ability things like that it's a very clever all-wheel drive system and it has made the pilot a really exceptional off-wheel or off-road vehicle uh, when the system can handle it. Uh, the pilot is really limited by tires, and that is something that, uh, you know, it's easily fixed, but not really clear if the Passport is going to fix that out of the gate, um, especially in some of the uh, more well-equipped uh, well off-wheel drive type trims that they might have otherwise you know it's going to be the same basic thing you always see you got the lx the ex the xl yada 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 um it's pretty much the exact same thing inside so you got android auto apple carplay compatible systems and the exl and up trims uh leather seats heated seats all the gizmos and doodads honda safety sense is standard uh it really to me just seems like a well thought out vehicle uh and it really seems like a nice gap vehicle in between the crv and the pilot uh honda did not announce fuel economy they did not announce pricing uh safe bet it will be probably a couple thousand dollars less than the pilot so imagine it starting in the l upper twenty thousand dollar range so probably around twenty seven thousand dollars uh fuel economy could improve slightly over the pilot because there will probably be a few hundred pounds less weight to carry around but don't expect it to move mountains and oceans uh for you uh but it's going to be a pretty cool vehicle so uh these will be hitting uh dealer lots in early 2019 they say uh, I'm pretty excited to check it out, especially given how much I like the Honda Pilot. Um, I think I'm really going to dig the Passport, and you might as well. So Mazda didn't exactly shy away from the fact that we're getting a new Mazda 3 in 2019. Uh, and we've got the official debut and some news about the car uh, here at the LA Auto Show. Uh, the car was fully unveiled uh, to the crowd, and it is largely what you'd expect a modern Mazda to be, uh, based on the design language that debuted with the CX-9 and has made its way down to the CX-5 and the Mazda 6. Uh, this new Mazda 3 really is an unbelievably beautiful car uh, from no to tail. Um, there are a few hiccups when it comes to the design that people are kind of split on. Uh, that particularly goes with the C-pillar, um, which is massive and it really has a bad impact on rearward visibility. Um, but I think Mazda is kind of hedging its best its bets on safety technology and other things to kind of get you through. Um, I still think the hatchback is the one to go for in this situation, um, but they've really dramatically improved the exterior styling on a car that was already extremely beautiful. Um, it's incredible what Mazda does with how little cash that they have. Uh, they are just designing absolutely beautiful cars and that exterior design that looks so good does translate into the interior as well a lot of the pictures that i had seen were on upper trim modeled uh mazda 3s so this new design language kind of has this floating water type wave look on the inside and you get these multi-tier dash elements that look fantastic 
Um, the floating uh, iPad infotainment system does return in this vehicle, which was somewhat controversial with some people. I think it looks good. Uh, it is Android Auto and Apple CarPlay compatible now, uh, which I think really helps a lot of people as well. Um, what I think I'm going to be curious about is what kind of material that dash is made out of when you don't have the upper trim model chosen. These press cars that they were showing off had like a suede material on the dash that looked absolutely stunning. Um, if that's just all hard plastic on the lower trim, uh, that would be incredibly disappointing. Uh, but Mazda's making some changes on this car that hopefully saves some money, which means that maybe perhaps you get that better interior on more trims than not. Uh, one of the changes that are coming to the vehicle is a change in rear suspension. Uh, Mazda is ditching the multi-link rear end and going to a twist beam rear axle, which is, of course, a cost-cutting and very disappointing choice uh, that can kind of wreck the rear suspension. It, it messes with the ride. It makes it so the handling is a little more skippy when you're going over bumps. Um, if anybody can kind of tune around that, it is Mazda. They have an excellent engineering team that can really uh, get that out of the way of your driving enjoyment but it is a little disappointing to say the least uh, the other big news for Mazda is the powertrains uh, that are going to be offered in this vehicle at least here in the U.S. it's a two and a half liter inline four that is carryover from the previous car uh, the new thing is the Sky Active X powertrain which is uh, kind of a merging of diesel and gasoline powered uh, options for the internal combustion engine uh, basically it's going to be uh, a gasoline engine that runs on compression so it doesn't have spark plugs necessarily like it it does but it doesn't try to use them more or less what they're trying to do is make it so this gasoline engine is as efficient as possible without adding a turbocharger or a supercharger like many other brands are doing uh, right now um Car and Driver, many other magazines have driven this engine. They say that it is impressive in its engineering efforts, um, but it lacks some of the refinement. Mazda has a lot of work cut out for them to get this engine out on the road and to not have any problems with it. Uh, you know, like I said before, their engineering teams are top notch. They do a lot with almost no money. Um, so if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Mazda. This could revolutionize uh, internal combustion engines as we know it. Uh, you know, they still got a lot to prove. Uh, the only other real news that they mentioned about the Mazda 3 today is that if you buy a sedan, uh, you are only going to have automatic transmissions as your choice. If you buy the hatchback, you can get it with a manual or an automatic. Um, that seems to go in line with the fact that most of the enthusiasts who buy a Mazda 3 tend to get the hatchback anyway. Um, and that here in the U.S. we won't be getting the diesel option in this car, just the Skyactiv-X and the standard 2.5 liter engine. So all in all, I think good news on the Mazda 3. I still think it is a good buy in the segment. Um, this is still a segment, though, that is dominated by the Honda Civic and the Toyota Corolla. And we do have a new Corolla to talk about as well. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's a lot of stuff going on here. I think Mazda's got a strong contender, um, but there is still a lot to prove coming out of Mazda going forward. Now a bit of news from Germany, and more specifically Volkswagen, and even more specifically the Volkswagen Auto Group. Uh, Audi unveiled the new uh, e-tron GT concept in Los Angeles. And if you're familiar at all with the e-tron name, uh, that of course is the uh, e-tron that debuted back at Geneva. 
It is a mid-size crossover uh, that has been in development for what feels like a decade at this point. Uh, that e-tron is a roughly $70,000 crossover uh, with 250 miles of range that sits in between the size of about a Q5 and a Q7, give or take. Uh, this new e-tron GT is a car that's about the size of the A7, but maybe a little bit closer to the A5 Sportback. It's based on the new Porsche Taycan platform, which is their, uh, what do they call it, the E-Motion, I'm, I'm forgetting what the full name was for the thing, but the Taycan is the new model. Uh, what is interesting about this Audi is that as much as Audi is designing the look of the car and the Quattro uh, high performance group is going to be uh, tuning up the performance aspects of the car, it is going to be a Porsche platform with Porsche electric motors and a Porsche battery. Um, I don't know necessarily how this is going to compare to the Taycan. It sounds like the Taycan might be a little bit larger, more Panamera-sized, which this is getting into a whole level of garbledygook uh, that's going on with all these cars uh, going forward. Um, Volkswagen has got a huge uh, bet on EVs going forward and other plug-in vehicles. They have to after Dieselgate, of course. Um, but... In the alphabet soup of names, numbers, and other things, this Audi seems to be a pretty well-done vehicle. It's got over 500 horsepower. It is likely going to sprint from 0 to 60 in under 3 seconds. Uh, it's got roomy seating for at least 4 people, potentially 5 maybe. Um, you'll probably be able to fit a lot of your own stuff in the back of the car. And, you know, it of course is an Audi, so it's going to be designed really well. It's going to be built really well. It's going to have a lot of integrations with your phone and other sat-nav things. It's going to have the, the wonderful digital dashboard that Audi pioneered a few years ago and is still leading the marketplace with um it's really going to be a solid effort and it's really going to be a car that goes after the jugular on tesla because um, when you consider the fact that the tesla model s doesn't really get good until you drop ninety thousand dollars or more if this car delivers pretty much the same amount of range the same amount of performance for 15 or twenty thousand dollars less i mean going with an audi doesn't seem like a bad idea really at all does it one of the other big components, of course, of the Volkswagen Auto Group, as I mentioned with that Audi, is Porsche. And we are finally getting an all-new 911 for the first time in quite a long time. The trick is, can you tell it's a new 911? Uh, we've kind of hit peak 911, perhaps, as it were. Um, as much as I personally loved the 997 generation Porsche 911, uh, the 991 really has been an interesting evolution of the car. It was the first 911 to come out after Volkswagen bought Porsche in the weird political bet money laundering blah 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 scheme that happened. Uh, quick rundown of that. Porsche tried to buy Volkswagen and in the process they got bought by Volkswagen. It's a mess. Anyway, this new 911 is now considered the 992 generation after we have gone past the 991.5 generation model. 
again, a number and letter alphabet soup uh, at Volkswagen Automotive Group. Um, but no real huge changes to really announce here. A lot of the powertrains are carryover from the previous car. Uh, a lot of the visual touches to the vehicle aren't exactly groundbreaking when it comes to Porsches. It's got the new fancy uh, bar that kind of goes in between the rear lights across the back uh, that we saw with the new Cayman that debuted a few short years ago. Um, really, it's just the design elements of the vehicle are being brought more in line with the modern uh, Porsche models that have debuted recently, uh, specifically the Cayenne, the Macan, and the uh, Boxster and Cayman. But, you know, the 911 is the 911. It is going to be one of the most sublime driving experiences that you can get. It's one of the most pure sports cars out there. It's one of the only sports cars that you can truly live with day to day. Um, as much as I may be a closeted 911 fan, uh, this car is just it's the bee's knees and you know you can whine and complain about the loss of the naturally aspirated flat six as much as you want but these new three liter flat sixes with those small turbos man they spool up quick they deliver big amounts of power with not a lot of uh, issues with fuel economy um, no word from porsche on gt3s gt2s anything like that i'm sure we'll get that further on down the road um porsche did also announce at a different press event uh that they have a last hurrah for the 991.5 uh with a new gt2 special edition crazy murderer pack uh but the 992s here it'll be out in dealers probably by the end of net 2019 uh so keep an eye out for it Really, the only way you're going to be able to tell is that rear light. Uh, that's really about as good as I could get on being able to tell the difference myself. Jumping over to Toyota, they have two new models to unveil at the Los Angeles International Auto Show, and that is the all-new Corolla sedan and an updated four-wheel drive Prius. Uh, we'll start with the Corolla. Uh, if you haven't seen the new hatchback out on the street yet, uh, definitely stop and take a look at one next time you see it. It is a revelation compared to previous Corollas. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, these are made in here in the United States or will be made here in the United States very soon. Um, it is carrying over a lot of what we learned on the new Corolla. It's got a great, uh, well-designed chassis. It's the TNGA platform that goes underneath a bunch of different Toyotas altogether. This is a platform that is shared with the Prius, uh, the Camry, and many others. Uh, in this Corolla, you're going to get the uh, two-liter inline-four brought over from the hatchback into the sedan, but that engine's going to be reserved for upper and sportier trim models, whereas the 1.8-liter engine from the current Corolla will be brought over for lower trims. Um, it's kind of to do the little split to keep that really cheap Corolla in the wheelhouse, as uh, it sounds like they might be axing the Yaris in the very near future. Um, Altogether, it seems like a smart choice. The big news is that Toyota is going to be offering a hybrid Corolla for the first time. Uh, largely, altogether, it's going to be the Prius's engine and transmission and powertrain altogether inside a Corolla. Um, so you're going to get a normally styled car, well, as normal as a new Corolla can be. Uh, so a relatively, air quotes, normal car with the P or with the Prius powertrain, which means you're going to get probably somewhere around 50 miles per gallon or more uh, with the car on average. And really, in terms of packaging, it seems like a much smarter buy than the Prius. Um, how much of a price gap it's going to be 
kind of hard to say the prius does start in the kind of the 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 upper end of the low mid twenty thousand dollar range so even saving a couple thousand dollars and choosing the corolla which will likely be a top trim for that model uh really seems to make a lot of sense to me um and without any penalties when it comes to overall packaging to of the car you might lose a couple cubic feet in the trunk compared to the regular corolla I mean, it's probably a choice that's going to save you a lot of money in the long run, especially if you live in a larger city or you do a lot of stop-and-go commuting. Um, it just really seems like a smart buy. Um, pricing was not announced for the Corolla, nor was fuel economy. They just kind of gave a the little guesstimate on the hybrid. Um, but I don't expect it to be too different from the hatchback that's currently on sale. Perhaps maybe a little improved with the 1.8 liter engine standard. Um, but more or less, everything else is pretty much the same of what you get with a hatchback. You get a really well-designed exterior that looks damn good. The interior is plush and comfortable and great. Um, Toyota Safety Sense 2.0 is standard, which means you're going to get... Uh, pedestrian safety monitoring uh includes like bicycle monitoring now apparently uh radar cruise control lane keep assist all that stuff will be standard uh the radar cruise control on these toyotas if i remember correctly are full speed to zero with crawl mode and all that stuff so it's a pretty good system uh i see no reason why not to recommend the corolla except for the fact that it doesn't have android auto in its infotainment system toyota again says they're quote-unquote working on it um but it's some security risk or something is what they say. I don't know. It's a bunch of bullshit. They'll fix it eventually. They'll probably charge you $300 to get your system updated to run Android Auto. But nevertheless, that's the only hang-up I have. But in some instances with this car, I kind of think, especially with the Corolla Hybrid, it's worth spending the money because it sounds like it's going to be a really good car. On the more specific hybrid front, uh, Toyota announced that the Prius is getting some subtle styling tweaks on the front to make it look a little less weird. Uh, it's gone from looking a little bit more like an angry frog to a slightly happier frog. Um, not super noticeable to the untrained eye. I couldn't really tell the difference if you line the two up together, but again, again I'm looking at photos on the internet and not seeing the car in person. The big news with the Prius is that they are adding an all-wheel drive system to the car for the first time, and it is an all-wheel drive system that is currently being added to the new RAV4, which is going to be hitting dealer lots very soon. Uh, the RAV4 hybrid is uh, a system that uses that updated hybrid synergy drive that came with the new Prius. It's adapted to the RAV4, and instead of having a true four-wheel drive system in the RAV4, what they're doing is the hybrid model or the hybrid powertrain drives the front wheels, but there is an electric motor on the back wheels that can send power back there and activate as a four-wheel drive system in low traction situations and help improve uh, some performance at higher speeds. But more or less, the system is really only activated at less than 10 miles an hour, and it gets you out of trouble. Um, in the Prius, same kind of thing. It's it's a little electric motor that goes in to the trunk by the battery that's back there. Uh, it takes up almost no space at all. Um, Toyota said that you don't actually lose any space in the car, um, but it sits back there. It can activate it up to, I think it's six miles an hour in the Prius. And then uh, in some situations that can activate under like 40 some odd miles an hour uh, to help improve your stability and all that stuff. Um, but really, you know, you think of places across the country where you get a lot of snow um, or you get a lot of inclement weather. You know, I'm thinking, you know, over on the East Coast, here in the Midwest, places like Colorado and the Pacific Northwest, where all-wheel drive vehicles are a large number of the vehicle sales. 
you get a lot of people who want a fuel efficient eco-friendly vehicle the prius is a great choice but it's not exactly known as an all-star uh when it comes to snow and other things and this will definitely help bring some peace of mind to people you know it's still not going to beat a good set of snow tires in many situations but uh you know if you just get a little bit of snow here and there and you got a good set of tires on the car i think it's going to be a smart buy toyota's not saying uh what kind of uh price upgrade it's going to be it's probably going to be like a thousand bucks or a little bit more than that it doesn't sound like it's going to be a super expensive option on the rav4 either um so expect a slight price increase but not huge um and toyota also didn't really talk about how much of a fuel economy punishment you're going to get by selecting this option but more or less you're going to probably expect to get a 50 or so mile per gallon uh prius out of this because that rear motor that's back there it doesn't weigh a whole lot it doesn't take up hardly any space it's really just there for peace of mind and to give you a little bit more performance in inclement weather so overall i think pretty exciting kind of an interesting way to solve this problem and it really does make me wonder if a lot of other car companies if the system works really well will start doing the same thing with their hybrid cars because if it takes almost no engineering to do this i think we're going to see a lot of quote-unquote all-wheel drive vehicles in the very very near future So arguably the biggest debut at the 2018 LA Auto Show is the Jeep Gladiator pickup truck. Uh, This has been, like perhaps many other vehicles that debuted this year, one of the worst kept secrets of really any auto show in recent memory. Uh, Jeep's been working on this truck for about a decade at this point, I think, that they've rolled out various concepts and like one-off models and other weird things and had little pickup tests of other jeep models in the fleet uh they they wanted to do a pickup truck for a long time it was a matter of whether or not ram would let them uh but as crossovers suvs and pickup truck sales continue to drive profitability for fca uh it makes a ton of sense as to why they're going to do this i think one big question that i have coming out of this show at least not necessarily regarded to the gladiator but more to ram specifically as whether or not we get a mid-size ram uh in this segment or if fca is just going to use the gladiator to be that pickup truck going forward uh jeep said that they spent a lot of time developing this model I don't think that's exactly evident in the design of the vehicle. Uh, After all, it is basically a Wrangler Unlimited with a pickup truck bed attached to the back. Uh, If you have any current knowledge of the Wrangler Unlimited, you will know exactly what this is. Uh, It's got the same front end. It's got the same side panels. It's got the same interior. Uh, The only thing that's really different is the bed and a few other uh, little details that Jeep likes to pack in uh, as little Easter eggs for their front the fans of their vehicles um the bed itself doesn't look like it's super big i don't know if it's a standard 5.7 uh bed in the back uh it looks a little bit smaller than that width wise it doesn't seem like it's all that large either um they said it's going to be able to carry a uh pretty decent size uh panel of plywood um but i don't have the specific measurements there for you uh, more or less i think you're they're kind of banking on this pickup truck being a uh activity lifestyle vehicle people who do motocross or have little atv things or whatever are going to be able to drive it up into the back and 
really enjoy themselves in the way that people who live the Jeep life apparently do. Uh, this is also going to be one of the first pickup trucks to have a removable roof since the Dodge Dakota convertible uh, died in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, the doors can come off, the front window can fold down, it's, it's all the Jeep stuff that you'd expect. Uh, Powertrain-wise, it's a uh, carryover from the larger Jeep engine options. It's the 3.5-liter V6, the Pentastar V6, making about 300-ish horsepower, uh, having a pretty fat amount of torque, made to do an 8-speed automatic. It sounds like Jeep is not offering a manual in this, but that could change eventually. Diesel was announced for the Gladiator, uh, but that won't be available till 2020. Horsepower figures aren't super great on that, but it's going to have almost 450 pound-feet of torque. So if you're going to be doing any hauling, it sounds like that is going to be the choice to make. But even the standard V6 uh, is going to tow, I think it's like 7,600 pounds or something like that, which makes it the top towing-capable pickup truck in its class, which is pretty cool for FCA, but uh, really where the... The issues start to come in for me is when it comes to everyday drivability and whether or not it would be a comfortable choice to live with, especially out on the highway. The Wrangler isn't exactly the quietest vehicle out on the road, uh, and you know I would rather have a more car-like experience when driving a truck. So me personally, the Ford Ranger and the Chevy Colorado tend to get that tip of the hat from me, but for people who are FCA fans, people who are into Jeeps, uh, this is the vehicle that people have been waiting for for what feels like forever, and Jeep said that they, you know, they, they've really spent a lot of time listening to what people want, and they really want to make sure that this thing is a big hit. It is going to be built in the same Toledo factory that builds the current Wrangler. That factory factory has had a ton of production problems. Uh, they are having a hell of a time keeping up with demand for the new Wrangler. I don't know how the hell they're going to be able to make enough of these gladiators to keep people happy, but Jeep knows they're going to have a hit on their hands. I'm sure they've got it figured out some way or another to keep people interested and to get models out to showrooms as fast as possible. I don't remember offhand what the release date information is on this. I would guess springtime or summer. Um, I imagine Fiat is eager to get some cash in their pockets, uh, even more than what they're already making with the Wrangler and the Ram 1500. So this will be out here very soon. I'm sure it's going to be very exciting. Uh, definitely be curious to hear what you feel about the Gladiator. Is it a mid-sized pickup truck for you? Are you looking for something a little more civilized? What exactly uh, are the bells and whistles that you would demand for a pickup truck uh, compared to what the Gladiator has on offer? Uh, hit me up here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. You can leave a voicemail and we can integrate it into the next episode of the show. So on over to the Korean end of the LA Auto Show, there are three separate announcements, two really quick ones that we'll kind of touch on, and then we'll talk about one larger one. Uh, Genesis is updating the G90 with a new front end, some new wheels, some new colors, and some interior upgrades. Uh, not a huge thing. It's still a great car uh, to compare against the BMW 7 Series and the Mercedes-Benz S-Class. Uh, the higher price point now compared to when the Equus was out is you know to be expected is a much better car uh but you know the market is the market if you don't have a silver arrow or a uh spinning airfoil thing on the front uh what kind of car are you spending your money on not much to according to a lot of other people um 
Over at Hyundai, they've got the new Palisade SUV. Um, it's their first full-size SUV. It's based on the Santa Fe architecture. It's going to have a 3.8-liter V6 with a little over 300 horsepower. Pretty trick four-wheel drive system. Three rows for the family. A lot of carryover switchgear and other design elements in the interior and exterior. It's just a big Hyundai SUV. That's about the best you can say about it. Not exactly earth-shattering news this year when everybody's jumping into the SUV and crossover territory, but uh, it is big news for Hyundai to be doing this since it is the first full-size SUV that Hyundai and Kia have done since the Borrego, which came out in the early or late mid-aughts, right around the time the fuel crunch uh, financial collapse happened. That was a very in my opinion, well-done SUV that came out at the worst time possible. Um, but this one is going to be pretty good, I hope. Uh, I think my money's still on the Kia Telluride to be the better-looking of the two. Um, but that, again, is a subjective personal opinion. The big news, of course, is that Kia has a new Soul on the way. Uh, the new Kia Soul is an all-new vehicle on an updated platform that I believe is shared with the, uh, what is it, the... Can't remember the name of the stupid little car. It's not the Rio. It's the one that's slightly larger than that, and it's not the Optima either. Uh, it goes to show how well named all of their cars are. But nevertheless, it's an updated platform uh, with some carryover engines that they've had before. There's a standard 1.6 liter, uh, or excuse me, is it the two liter inline four that I believe is the standard engine, 147 horsepower, uh, mounted to a manual transmission, or I believe it's a CVT gearbox. It's the new CVT gearbox that debuted in that new smallish car that I can never remember the name of. Wow, I'm not a very good at this. Uh, and then there's a new, uh, excuse me, an updated 1.6 liter turbo uh, that's borrowed from the Veloster. Uh, it's got a little over 200 horsepower, seven speed dual clutch automatic. Uh, it's going to be a pretty sporty engine option and that will go with the new sporty trim that they're going to be offering on the sole it's called the gt line it's going to grab a lot of styling aggressive styling and sporty cues from the models like the kia stinger gt and add it to the sole um, it won't exactly be a uh, hot hatch competitor but nevertheless it's going to look the part and i think that's all that kia really is worried about there's also going to be an x line model that's going to look a little more four-wheel drive adventure ready um, but like many other cars that are coming out with that kind of styling it will not have four-wheel drive just front wheel drive front wheel drive um, which is a little bit disappointing i feel like kia has kind of had that carrot out on a stick for a while that a four-wheel drive sole is coming they would sell a bazillion of them if they ever added four-wheel drive to the car uh, so we'll see what happens but uh yeah x x line looks really good it looks the part and kind of the same way that like uh remember the fiat 500l trekking how that looks the part of being an SUV. Same kind of thing, but it's a Kia. Um, the other big news about the Kia Soul is that they will have an all-new EV model that borrows the EV powertrain from the Hyundai Kona EV. Uh, the, inside the Soul, it's going to be a little bit smaller. Um, the performance will be about the same, given 200 horsepower, likely a 250-mile range. Um, Price-wise, hard to say if it's going to be cheaper or not. The Kona itself starts in the low $30,000 range. The Soul will probably be a little bit less than that, given the size differential. Um, but with federal, state, and local incentives, you're going to get a really capable EV car for somewhere in the mid to low $20,000 range. And if you live in a state like California where there's an infrastructure to charge your EV uh, to get those really good incentives and things like that, it makes sense to buy that over the gasoline-powered model, in my opinion. Um, 
Kia really didn't talk a lot about other options and trims and other things like that. They've got a new uh, emphasis on uh, infotainment. There's going to be like a new like 10-inch screen you can get, which looks really great. Um, it is going to be the, what they call it, the Evo, Nevo, whatever uh, infotainment system. It's that Microsoft design unit. Uh, it's pretty good setup. I don't know if I like it quite as much as the Hyundai system myself, uh, but uh, overall, it, it works pretty well. Uvo, that's the name of it. Jesus Christ. Uh, so yeah. Kia Soul, I mean, they sell a fucking ton of these cars every single year, and an updated model is really going to do well. Um, you know, if you're looking to buy a previous car, go ahead and do it anyway. They're they're good cars. They're really reliable. They're good on gas mileage. They're really utility-friendly. Um, really a great car overall, and I think this new one is really just going to expand on what they do well uh, with this car. So the last debut that really made any ripples of sorts at the LA Auto Show is the 2020 Lincoln Aviator. Uh, this is the return of the Aviator brand name to Lincoln for the first time in quite a while that we've had an Aviator. Uh, it is a, basically it's a Navigator with a slightly less room in the back. Um, it's still a three-row SUV. It's still got a 400-horsepower twin-turbo V6. Uh, what's making ripples is, of course, uh, the mild hybrid setup that Ford is introducing with this SUV. Um, it is some kind of system that is uh, adding power, running a lot of equipment in the vehicle, uh, adds 50 horsepower to the vehicle, and, and an unspecified number of torque, but the torque does jump to 600 pound-feet. Uh, so I'm guessing that this thing is going to be a monster off the line when it's unladen uh, with people, stuff, or trailers. Um, the current Navigator is very quick as well, but this thing is going to be a rocket. Uh, yeah, uh, towing-wise, they haven't announced anything, but I imagine it'll be able to tow quite a bit of stuff as well. Um, what it really comes down to is that this is arguably one of the most American luxury entries out there in the marketplace today. The Navigator sits in that same spot. Same with the Continental. It is quiet. It is comfortable. It is overly designed when it comes to the exterior and interior. It is just plush to the nth degree. And the way that like Lincoln's would have been in the 60s, um, you know, you think of what a Continental was back then. It was a huge boat compared to other cars out on the road. And that's what the Aviator and the Navigator are going to be. Um, the other big thing that Ford is saying with this car is that you're going to be able to unlock and drive the vehicle with your cell phone uh, in much the same way that the Tesla Model 3 does the same thing. Whether or not it's going to work out well, I don't know. Tesla has not really perfected this as a thing quite yet, but with Ford Motor Company having the money and resources that they do, uh, I'm sure they'll figure it out before this truck goes on sale. Um, other notes about the thing, I think it looks great. I love the name Aviator. Uh, it's it's just, overall, it's a great SUV. You know, if you're looking for a competitor to the uh, short wheelbase Yukon Denali or the smaller Cadillac Escalade, this seems like a pretty good shot in the arm for you if you're a Ford fan. Is it going to grab people who are shopping, you know, Mercedes and BMW? Eh, you know, maybe, I don't know, you'd have to be comparing the, uh, the BMW, uh, what was it, the X8 is their new SUV to this, and it's kind of an apples and oranges thing, I mean, the BMW is going to be more refined in some respects, but I think the Lincoln's going to arguably be a more comfortable choice. Uh, what I think is also going to be interesting in this situation to keep an eye out for is whether or not that Ford uh, quality standard is kept up here. Um, there's been a lot of reports with 
Lincoln Navigators, uh, that the quality really hasn't been up to snuff. A lot of misaligned interior pieces and exterior pieces that really just aren't what you would expect for a $100,000 SUV. Um, I hope that's not evident in this. I, I would hope that with so much of this vehicle being shared with the Navigator that they would have a lot of those kinks worked out. Um, what Ford didn't announce was pricing or when exactly it'll go on sale. More than likely, it's going to be in 2019 as a 2020 model, sometime late in 2019. Uh, Pricing-wise, I, I would expect a bit of a cut compared to the Navigator, but with the Navigator already starting at about $100,000, I don't know how much of a huge cut you're going to expect. This is still going to be competing with the Escalade after all, and that Escalade already starts at almost $100,000 as well. So we will see. I don't know. Uh, but that hybrid aviator in like a nice dark deep blue color and if you can get that red interior from the continental whoo that's gonna be a good looking suv well guys that just about wraps up coverage of the 2018 los angeles international auto show I did skip over a few things that came out of uh, BMW. They had a pretty radical, uh, what they called an iNext concept. Uh, more or less, if you've seen the new X8 SUV, imagine it as an i BMW product like the i3 or the i8. Uh, it's going to be the next hybrid SUV, and more or less the powertrain that they have in there will probably show up in a Rolls-Royce later on down the road. Uh, Nissan announced some other tech updates for the Murano and the Maxima. I'm shocked that the Maxima is getting anything because the new Altima is nearly the size of a Maxima, and it's essentially replacing it, it sounds like, in the very near future. So, eh, who knows? Uh, and really, yeah, not a whole lot of other news. Like I said at the beginning of the show, this Los Angeles Auto Show is uh, an auto show where they show off a lot of vehicles that you're going to see a lot in the next year, and they are tangible vehicles that normal people can afford. So, yeah, it's a lot of news that you can use, as they would say. Uh, if you want to follow back to other episodes of the show, you can do so for free on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, many others. These episodes are made available for free. Um, you can also follow here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. Um, and you can reach out to me on Twitter at YSSMAN. Uh, my name is Brad Ezelike, and I do the show every couple of days. Maybe sometimes it's weeks apart. Who knows? Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you have holidays that come up. Lots of other things can happen. Uh, so with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a wonderful Friday. Hope you have a great weekend. Get out there and enjoy the crisp winter weather if you're having that near you. Here in Michigan, everything's frozen shut. So don't go outside. Hide in the basement. Eat canned food for the next six months and come out when springtime's here. Uh, so with all that in mind, guys, have a great weekend. And we'll see you next time on the Salvage Title Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,